Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Show with Restita and Robert, your source for martial arts talk radio. Three, two, one, we're live. Not hungry at all to 
I want a chicken pot pie. And this goes back to, to what, I, what I told everybody. If your wife or girlfriend tells you they're not very hungry, that they only want soup, or that they're not hungry at all, mm-hmm. don't believe them. <laughs> Get them something anyway. <laughs> you, know, you know what? I just, I just saw a message from Jalupo. He goes, well, I'm screwed because he's in the process of converting to cast iron cookware. <laughs> oh, oh, John, you are so screwed. <laughs> and you know what? I forgot it was Father's Day. Speaking of, you know, long marriage and stuff like that. Happy Father's Day, everyone out there. Happy Father's Day, Bob. And um, Oh, that reminds Aww. me. So your daughter is out in Ireland. For a bit studying. Yes, cool. I, I never, I never got a, I never got a text. She didn't tell me Happy Father's Day when I dropped her off the airport at four in the morning. Aww. Uh, but she's telling me I hate you, Dad. Stage, but I texted her at ten o'clock and said, "Did you arrive?" She texted me back at twelve forty-five and said, "Yes." Yeah. And she's right now. She's suffering from jet lag, and Jenny skyped her. Uh. Uh, last night, or no, this this morning, I guess, and she was in bed, and it was only eight o'clock back there, eight in the evening, back there. Mm-hmm. Because she and you're you're more familiar than she is. But see, I and I checked, it's actually an eleven-hour plane ride. If you're going nonstop, yeah, she had a five-hour layover in Newark, New Jersey. Oh. So okay. so now it went from 11 hours to 16. Makes for a yeah. very very long day. It is. It's you no. Know, it it'll it'll really really mess you up. Um, Renee Lynn Oh, Winter, especially when you're sitting around people that haven't showered for 24 hours. Over when you're sitting around people that haven't showered 24 hours. <laughs> it's right, like, right, <laughs> right. So Renee Lynn Winter wrote in, and she wants to know what the topic is tonight. Well, Renee, it is open floor today. We can talk about any martial art thing. However, uh, Bob and I are going to start it around 630. Uh, with just something that came to mind earlier. It's uh, The subject is, does money actually define a full martial arts school? Now, there's a lot of ways that can go. So I'm going to, I'm kind of interested in this. How this uh, conversation goes, don't you, Bob? Aren't you? It'll be oh, you bet, you betcha. Because the you know the topic came up, and you told me how you got it, and it's like uh, high earnings or or high student or whatever to give you that earnings defies a martial arts school success. Yeah, that can yeah. go that can go a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah, because there exactly. are people that are making six-figure incomes. Yeah, but that's yeah. not defining them. They they want the better things in life. Yeah, uh, which there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're um, not selling themselves short. Huh. Yeah, and there are schools that are like that. Um, however, you know, as we all know, there are schools that are all about the money, and uh, the curriculum can go by the wayside, or you know. You get sold on you know, every club out there. Okay, join the Black Belt Club. Okay, now join the Elite Black Belt Club. But you have to be 
regular black club for three months and you even if you're you know eligible you can the elite black belt club or you know you know what i mean it's kind of like you know, there are schools out there that will sell everything um and you know that's fortunate but you know but they make triple digits so is it successful i guess it all depends on how we define success so it's going to be for an interesting topic today um and i, I kind of want to ask you guys out there later on when the when the phones go like why some people think martial arts should cost less or e be free in comparison to other activities like piano lessons league um other sports you know like it, yeah it's so let's talk about that too we've got a whole bunch of other people watching we've got Lindsay Manchu watching Ian Sanchez is watching Gordon Teague how you doing Gordon um Ian Edmund Fosco is also watching um Winter is uh, watching also. So uh, stay tuned, folks. So uh, we, should we go with the, the uh, get started with the sure, show there, Bob? Absolutely. Now, I, oh. I did. I just wanted to say I did have a nice breakfast with my wife and son and my daughter-in-law. <laughs> have you ever had breakfast, Rusty? And all of a sudden, several, several hours. I mean, I noticed this at 5 o'clock. I had spilled egg on my jeans. <laughs> Oops. And I just noticed it. And I we ate from we were there from nine to eleven this morning. Oh wow. Yeah, and that stuff like Yeah, and I was leaving the I was leaving the museum and I looked down and went, Oh crap <laughs> But that's my yeah, day. Isn't that wild? Isn't that wild? Like, you know, it can it can sometimes turn into cement. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, wow. Well, yeah, oh. let's start the show. Okay, let's do birthdays. Who do we have for birthdays on Bob? Uh, well, we have uh, Ninja Master Shokasuki. His birthday is today. Oh, wow. We have uh, ah. an ex-girlfriend and a friend, uh, Marisol Rose. She's uh, an ex-girlfriend of Steve Williams, which is a student of Frank Duke. Uh, on the 20th, we have... Benny Urquidez, uh Martin Blasick, which was in the the martial arts kid one and uh, paying Mr. McGetty. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have an old friend, uh, Mary Schlander. She was uh, 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 bro- sister of Paul Schlander, one of Greg's old students. And on the 21st, we have Sensei Emmanuel Thomas. It's his mm-hmm. birthday. And those are my birthdays of the week. All right. So my birthday's uh, tomorrow. Uh, Catherine May is having a birthday. Now you said Lindsay Largusa, right? Did you? I don't remember if you did? No, I didn't. Oh, tomorrow would have his birthday. The soul. Uh, Stephen Dixon's birthday. Gary Faso is also tomorrow, and Stephen Washington. On Tuesday, nineteenth, we've got Chan Vera, Neil Ratliff, an old uh, student of mine, Margot. A, uh, um, a sister in the Association of uh, Women's Martial Arts. Um, we, and on Wednesday, Dennis Hallmark, he's, uh, he's the brother of Lori Hallmark, who is uh, partners with Jim Hunt at the USA Martial Arts Hall of Fame. Uh, Michelle Reed's birthday is also on Wednesday. Chuck Wood, bless his soul also. He, he passed away uh, uh, last year or the year prior. Um 
and you said Benny Rakides. It's also Sifu Allenton's birthday. He is a longtime Gung practitioner here in the uh, um, in the Pacific Northwest. Thursday, twenty first, whispered that Corvo is having a birthday. Uh, Lou Farrellin having a birthday. An old classmate of mine from high school, Aaron Panny. Another old classmate of mine, Nato Sacramento. Friday the twenty second. I don't. I think. No, I take that back. Andrew Castro, a former Wushu student of mine. Um, on the 23rd, Dirk and Cassie Gill. And that's it. That's it for me for birthdays. For everybody having a birthday week of the 17th through the 18th, this tune is for you. That's one of the reasons that my wife and I visited Michael Day in a little over two months, August 25th and 6th, we are having Dragon Fest. Dragon this Fest. is going to be the, the fifth Dragon Fest so far after uh, Gerald Okamura retired Dragon Fest back in the day. And we have a total of 100. Well, let me put it this way. We went from 8,000 square feet last year to around eleven to 12,000 this year. We have 150 booths available, which we have 25 left. Say how many we're going to with? We have, God, you really broke up, but I think I understood you. We have uh, 25 booths left out of 150. And how many uh, square There's going to be a large, uh, about, about 11,000 this year. Check that out, folks. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be insane. We've got <clears throat> celebrities. We've got Matt Moy, Michael Jai White, Don Wilson, Benny Urquidez, Doug Wong, Carl Totten, Kerry Ogawa Wong. Uh, and and that, that's just in the uh, – for, for the festival, for the Dragon Fest. Uh, <laughs> we've got cultural performances, taiko drumming, hula dancing, uh, martial arts demonstrations. Uh, celebrities will be signing autographs. Like I said, it's going to be a large military presence there. Now, day one, this is what's cool. All, everybody under the age of 18, so 17 and under for day one, will be mm-hmm. no charge. They will get in for free. Nice. All active Military personnel with a valid military ID will get in for free. 
Mm-hmm. They they are also now you know the second day is going to be all seminars with Benny Urquiz, Leo Fong, those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is adult day, so all the kids got in free for Dragon Fest. They can't do the seminars, but all active military are not only going to be free to Dragon Fest. They are going to be free to the seminars as well. Oh, and by the way, Vince Cesare, I just saw. I just saw his name on on the list for doing a seminar on Sunday. I forget what time it is, but he's also scheduled to do the Sanukas uh, demo or uh, uh, seminar. Sorry. Uh, And this is all going to take place on the 25th and 6th of August at Pickwick Gardens and Banquet Center at one. I think it's 1001 Riverside Drive in the city of Burbank. they have, if if you wanted an entertaining day, they have a bowling alley on site, pool tables, uh, arcade, restaurant, ice skating rink. So it's going to be fun for the whole family. It's going to be really cool. Uh, Michael's really looking forward to it. In fact, we're going to, him, I, and Jenny are going to get together and, and lay out the booth, who's going mm-hmm. where and so forth, and and uh, uh, we're going to lay it out really nice. It's going to be what one of the problems was that Michael had sectioned it off. You know, he put all the celebrities together, all the anime yeah. together, all the media together, like us. But <laughs> a a lot of the times, one if you had like Cynthia and Don next to each other, the rows would get bottlenecked. You couldn't yeah. get through because everybody wanted to see them. So yeah, exactly. the way that it's going to happen is we're going to put, and this is for the vendors, this is for their, their, for their sake. We're going to mm-hmm. spread the celebrities out, spread the people out that the people are coming to see. That way they get to see the whole show and not just this little tiny bit because they want to meet Betty or Kitas or Don Wilson. Right. So all the celebrities will be spread out through the entire room or you know, maybe Felix Rollins, those guys, people that are like Matt Moy, people are going to go there to see him, Don Wilson. They're not going to have to worry about not being able to be seen. Uh, right. I want the main room this year. I will express that to Michael. I don't want the foyer again like we had last right. year because yeah. we didn't have the traffic we could have. Uh, yeah. Good call. But, like Jenny, Jenny said, that. we're going to be helping him set up the room, so we might as well do it. Are <laughs> we guys getting up? Because I, I come in um, before. Now, when do you come in? Night before. That's probably when we're setting up. When did you come oh. in last year? Same thing? Night before, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so so I'm sure we'll, we'll whoever picks you up, Kathy, me, whoever, we'll, pro- we'll probably just go straight over to the... Uh, the uh, convention center and set up. Cool. And Eric Dutra is listening. He says, great idea, Bob. Better traffic flow. Awesome. So watching. And Captain Amicus at the seminar is watching right on. Um, Robbie Lee says, what about the military vets? Um, I, I think he had, I think Bob had mentioned something about military vets, right? So what was that again, Bob? No, no. The ones who are going to get in free are military active duty. 
Okay. Military active. Military active. With a valid ID card, yes. Yeah. Now, how much the how much is are the tickets? The tickets are on the. It's on thirty dollars to get in to the first day and thirty dollars to the seminar. Not bad. Not bad. Considering that most folks, at least the conventions I've been to here in Seattle, for for just one day can cost you one hundred fifty bucks. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there you go. So you know thirty dollars. There we go. All right, fast. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, I guess it's time for health news. All right. So, about the Nordic guy. Now, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, diets out there. You know that. Diet, uh, diet, the Mediterranean diet, and stuff like that. Well, now there's this new there's this new thing there called the Nordic diet, and some nutritionists actually think that maybe one of the healthiest ways to eat. So, what exactly is this Nordic diet? The neat thing is, is there is calorie counting or crash dieting, rather. The diet promotes a lifelong approach to healthy eating. It focuses on plant-based seasonal foods and is packed with lean protein, complex carbohydrates, and health fats. Uh, the new diet, which has actually been around for centuries, was adapted for the Baltic Sea Diet Pyramid in 2004 to include more flavors and nutritional The new version promotes more food from wild plants, less food additives, or get produce whenever possible, more home-cooked meals. And additionally, it places an emphasis on planting each meal around winter vegetables, such as kale, cabbage, broccoli, and Brussels sprouts. Eggs and fish are more of a side dish. Now, people are probably wondering, well, how does it stack up against other diets? How does it stack up to the Mediterranean diet, for example? Um, now, the Nordic diet is pretty similar to the more known Mediterranean diet. They both include plenty of fish, root, vegetable, fruit, whole grains, um, and limit the consumption of red meat, red sugars, and processed foods, and all that junk, right? Now, the main difference, though, between the Mediterranean diet and Nordic diet is that the Nordic diet, um, its main difference in the oily fats. Mediterranean diet, uh, olive oil, whereas the Nordic diet opts for uh, canola oil, uh, both oils put a healthy heart by boosting good cholesterol and trimming away the bad cholesterol. Um, now, there's a long list of health benefits. Um, I'm not going to get all into it, uh, but the, one of the main things is that it can lower systolic and diastolic blood pressure levels, normalize cholesterol levels, and help people's weight or maintain a healthy weight. And it may, okay, we don't know yet, it may even help women who are trying to get pregnant. <laughs> and, you know, for a diet like this, you don't have to worry about ordering out for those expensive meals that get delivered to you. Um, you know, it's just that, you know, although the Mediterranean diet has been more heavily researched, there is a growing interest in the Nordic diet. And uh, it's already been found that the diet is just as healthy, if not more. And, uh, and 
That, and that doesn't mention the, that the Nordic diets focus on consuming what's in season. It doesn't break the bank. The seasonal produce tends to be a cheaper and uh, a little bit uh, more widely available. So, people out there, if you're looking to do some good for your body, that Nordic diet may be worth a try. It's the type of nutrients, vitamins, and minerals that your body needs to survive and thrive. So there you go. Um, so the Philippine diet outside of work is, uh, I would say, somewhat similar because we do have a lot of uh, vegetables and stuff like that. Um, depending on where you live, it can be hard to come by. But we are poor country, not poor country, but pork as in as in pygmy. Oh, pork. I thought you said poor as well. Yeah, I know. I they, when it came out of my mouth, and I said no, I meant poor. You know, um, and I grew up with it, and I'm, you know now starting to not eat it as often. So um, you know, I'm sticking to fish and chicken and veggies and stuff like that. But boy, I tell you what, you have some pork ribs in front of me. You better get out of my way. <laughs> anyway. Well, with that, I think time for is it time for news already? Yes. yes, it is, and it's time for weird news. Right, weird news. I don't... Well, <laughs> this this is as weird as it gets. Indonesian woman dies after being swallowed whole by a python. Oh my God! That's that's crazy. That's crazy. Uh huh. <laughs> Villagers launched a search for a woman who went missing on Thursday, but were horrified to find a bloated snake. Upon cutting it open, they found a woman's body. Uh. Yeah. Uh, uh. I. An Indonesian mother has died after being swallowed whole by a 23-foot-long python. The woman, Wadtiba, 54, went missing while tending to her vegetable garden near her village on Manua Island in southeast... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Near province. Thursday, according to the village chief, Ferris. When her family went to look for her, they found only her belongings in the garden, including her sandals, a machete, and a flashlight. She had a machete, and she still got swallowed. You know, I I would have whacked that snake's head right off. You know what I love that? Oh, oh, wait, that didn't sound right. Go ahead, because I've got my thoughts. <laughs> uh, Ferris said the villagers killed the snake, and when they cut it, cut open its belly, they found the woman's body still intact, wearing all her clothes. Local police chief Hamka, who only has the name one name, like many Indonesians, said residents were suspicious that the snake swallowed the victim, so they killed it then carried it out of the garden. The snake's belly was cut open and the body of the victim was found inside. Local villager said everyone cried and was in shock. 
that poor woman. It looked like a horror movie. The people are terrified and afraid to go outside. Oh, my goodness. Found a picture. Can you imagine though? You've got this you've got this big blade and this snake is right by you and can still consume you before you can react and kill it. Yeah, you know, now I don't know if that scene, don't worry, it's not, not a picture of the woman in the belly. It's a, a picture of people trying to cut it open. And here we here it is. Whoop, hold on, let me blow it up a little bit. And uh, yeah, I don't know if this because if if that's a woman in there, that's a small woman. <coughs> but they're taking a, a big old uh, they kill you by coiling around you, suffocating you, right? So right, what do you think that if you're with a shetty? And it starts to coil around you that you would like to get the hell out of Dodge and, and freaking like struggle and run, right? Because, you know, they don't, actually, they don't actually like snap shut like a Venus flytrap kind of thing, right? So the cold. So I'm kind of wondering about this. Kind of makes me wonder if any foul play. So, yeah. Anyhow. But, all right. So, with that said, let's go on to entertainment news. Where's my stinger? I don't know where my stinger <laughs> Oh, here it is. Here, I found it. Entertainment news. There we go. Russ Ebert says, Python slow and then rap fast and squeak. Okay. Well, okay. I, I, I guess yeah, I can... but, you know, with, with, with that, Russ, I, you know, I was thinking about that, too. But that's 23 foot of snake. Yeah, that's that's a lot of snake. And if you even see a python opens its mouth to swallow something whole, it opens that that thing is huge. It unhinges its jaws, I think. Yeah, where it's almost like like it twelve and and six type thing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. No. No. And so now I can stop kidding kidding my wife about having the biggest mouth. Careful, she might swallow you all. <laughs> <laughs> where did Bob go? Where, where did Bob go? I'm gonna be calling everyone. Have you seen Bob? Have you seen Bob? And then they find this. <laughs> Jenny with yeah, the, J- Jenny, have you gained some weight? <laughs> Why are you looking so bloated? <laughs> yeah, no, no, twenty-three feet. That's that's crazy. Oh my gosh. Well, that all right. is, isn't it? So this yeah. one's on our buddy Conor McGregor, the UFC fighter. Walked okay. out of a New York City courtroom where he appeared for a hearing for his bus attack case and told the media, I regret my actions that led me here today. He continued, I understand the seriousness of this matter, and I'm hopeful that it gets resolved soon. Inside the courtroom, Conor's attorney told the judge, the UFC star is negotiating a plea deal with prosecutors. Oh my They're God. due back in court July 26th. 
McGregor has hit the multiple charges, including felony criminal mischief for attacking a UFC bus at the Barclays Center in in Brooklyn on April 5th, injuring injuring multiple people, including some UFC fighters. It what he went into a UFC bus and just started beating on people. Is that is, is no that, is no that? he started he no he physically attacked the bus throwing chairs at it throwing things at it injuring people. Uh, I don't Dumbass. even remember why because it's been out of the yeah exactly because it's, it it's been out of the news for so long I forget why he did it. I I didn't hear about that. You know yeah. I kind of wonder if he. Oh no! Master Ken and... did a did a bit on it too. <laughs> How to defend someone throwing chairs? <laughs> something like that, yeah. Oh my! And something God. about saying, "Yeah, Ma- Conor McGregor couldn't do that." <laughs> yeah, right. Sometimes I wonder if he needs like management or something. It's, I mean, most of those it's... UFC fighters need anger management. <laughs> Well, you know, Connor Connor's being a wild boy of the UFC right now. <laughs> oh, John Lupo says he threw a hand doll at the bus. So, John, why why was he attacking the bus? He pissed off at someone inside the bus. Was he just being a dumbass? What what? <laughs> what was going on? What was going on with Connor? So, wait. Oh my God, that's crazy. All right. Let's do this, folks. Um, why don't we go ahead and take our break? And when we come back, we're going to open the phone lines. But Bob and I are going to start with talking a little bit about, you know, money. Is money the defining factor in make money make the school? So anyway, don't uh, don't go away, folks. Be right back after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Seacrest for RAD. Over 300 people in this country are killed every week by a drunk driver. That's the equivalent of two 747 plane crashes every single week. And the problem isn't going away unless we all do our part to stop it. So if you see someone who's about to drive after drinking, get the keys. Don't leave it up to anyone else. Friends don't let friends drive drunk. A public service announcement brought to you by RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters and the Ad Council. This is Chicago-style hot dog here. I'm not feeling too good. Turns out, along with all the other bad things my cholesterol does, they say it's a risk factor for strokes. Strokes? Sheesh! Good news from National Stroke Association. Exercising, eating right, and asking your doctor about medicines that can help lower your cholesterol, like statins, may reduce the risk of a first stroke. And if you've already had a stroke, it's even more important you lower your cholesterol. Lower your chances of stroke by controlling your cholesterol. Visit stroke.org today. Packers. Vikings. We come from different places. Uptown. Downtown. We come to different conclusions. Half empty. Half full. But when we live united, we make a real difference in the building blocks of life. Children succeed in school. Families gain financial stability. The health of our neighbors improves, and suddenly so do our communities. Real change won't happen without you. Live United. So give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Sign up today at liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Greetings and welcome to the world's first and only Martial Arts History Museum. My name is Michael Matsuda. I'm founder and president of the museum. Designed as an educational facility, 
The museum is a fun place for young people and visitors to experience art, history, culture and tradition and its relationship to the martial arts. Created as a timeline, it reveals how Asian history has had a unique and positive effect on American history. In just under an hour, visitors will be able to explore the culture and tradition of China, Japan, Korea, the Philippines, Thailand, and even Hawaii. You will be impressed with our section on the history of anime and the role Walt Disney played in changing the world. In our media section, visitors will enjoy reliving their past as they examine our historical timeline of martial arts in film, TV, and print. And as a bonus, visitors will get a thrill from our props from a variety of martial arts movies including The Karate Kid, Kung Pao Movie, Revenge of the Ninja, Wendy Wu, Big Trouble in Little China, and many more. From Anime Wong to President Theodore Roosevelt, to Bruce Lee to Avatar The Last Airbender and the Ninja Turtles, the martial arts has not only transformed American history, but it changed the world. The museum is a fun and exciting place to visit for the whole family. All the displays here were designed by the artists from Disney, DreamWorks, The Simpsons, and Halloween Artists. If you are part of the Unified School District, head up a homeschool, boys and girls club, the Boy Scouts, or even church groups, your kids will have a fun time experiencing different cultures and Asian history. I know that there are many great museums out there for our kids to enjoy and explore. Now you can put the Martial Arts History Museum on that list of places to visit. You're listening to the Dynamic Dojo Show. Your source for martial arts talk radio. Now to begin this Dynamic Dojo Talk Radio with Rusty and Bob, and it is open for here at the show today. Uh, Bob and I are just going to throw out a subject, and uh, people have been throwing out a few subjects here on comments. But let's go ahead and start with the, the subject I talked about a little bit earlier. Does make money define the success of martial arts? I said it. I guess it all depends on what people count as success. So we want to hear from you guys. Should it be all about the money? Is successful school only different as a school that makes you know figures a year? Um. Anyway, let's see. So you need to change the martial arts to scouts now. Don't want any SJW feedback. SJW. What's SJW? I don't know. <laughs> Bob, I mean, people have been asking this on, on the comment thread. Have you seen any Cobra Kai series on YouTube? I saw the whole thing. I, I joined uh, YouTube Red just to see all of them. Oh, really? Is it good? Should I join yes. YouTube Red? Okay. All right. I might well, you can get a trial for 30 days and see the whole thing. I saw it in like oh. four nights. Oh, nice. So I'll have to do that because, you know, it's the Monday's the last day of school, and I'll have a little more time to, to watch stuff it was, that I Now, wanna... I can say this with no spoiler alert. It was very well written, and there are some really big 
surprises and turns and twists in it that will blow your mind. Okay, well then I, now I have to see it, right? <laughs> right. And but you oh, can right. watch the first one for free. Say that again. What? You can you can watch the first one for free. Oh, okay. Great. How much does it cost in you to read on a monthly subscription? Like ten ten bucks, like nine ninety five or something. That's not bad. It's kind of like Netflix, I guess. Yeah, the com- the commercials stop. Yeah. You don't nice. have the commercials you used to. You can download videos. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Nice. Right. Very cool. So, YouTube Reddit is so, folks. Let's uh. Let's talk about this just for a little bit. Uh, let's see, John, where to bring it up, Rusty, until you watch it? Where to bring it up, Rusty, until you watch it? What? Where? Huh? What? <laughs> huh? <laughs> anyway. Oh, so um, Russ and Tom Dwyer decided to uh, clarify that SJW, it means social justice warrior. You know, so, yeah, that makes sense. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Social justice. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> Matt Stone writes, talking about martial arts schools focused solely on making money, there are a lot of schools out there in the national capital region that have stepped away from being schools that teach uh, traditional arts and have themselves uh, into dojo and have made themselves into dojo daycares, he writes. After school, Care centers, complete school pickup and drop-off van service. Birthday party venues have to be a student to schedule a karate birthday event. Um, easily 90% of their curriculum, advertising, marketing, etc., is focused solely on kids under the age of 13. Um, you know, I you know I've tried after programs where I just open my doors to kids, you know, coming coming in from school because. At the time, my school was was on the way from several major, uh, elementary schools and middle schools, and it was on the way to a, to a part of the neighborhood that had a large influx of kids. And the kids would come in, <clears throat> and back then, this is where we had phones, we would have them the phone, call their parents, tell them we got here safe, um, and I would literally have them their homework, get your homework done. And uh, it was an hour of homework and uh, um, video games and stuff like that. And then it was class, and then the parents would get, you know, and it was only an extra $15 a month for that. Um, and we're in the studio anyway. We just can put our thumb um, if, uh, if an after-school program didn't come in. And I've tried summer camp, which uh, are always a hit. Um, and, you know, I... I why people do stuff like that, like summer camps and stuff, because you know, in the summer, my main concern is that, you know, uh, well, it's not, a, it's not a concern. I mean, there's always kids joined during the summer because there's nothing to do, right? Um, but also, you know, I, I work as a PE teacher at a, at a private school, and I don't work in the summer. So it's kind of a nice way to kind of, like, make up for that make up for that income loss. Um, but it's also something for the kids to do. Um, do we get students out? I think maybe about 50% of the time maybe we do. Um, 
you know, we get people from from uh, uh, demonstrations and stuff like that. I mean, not really. You know, people will always take hard, but you know how that goes. People take hard and kind of they kind of forget and they you know they fall. Um, let's see. Russ says. Russ says you need games. But a school success could be defined by profit if that is your goal. That's a, that's kind of what you know. What I mean by that is like if you define your school being successful by you know the money you make um, and the sheer number of students you have, then okay, then you're successful by those standards. Um, but I guess what I'm looking for from you guys, what do you guys consider? Success, and David said the same thing. Success is dependent on the one who finds it. Tom Dwyer writes in and he says, "All my comments are the old-fashioned way. Expect errors, questions. What is the window cost? A uh, month's worth of training. It's a good question. So let's go to Bob. Let's see what he has to say about what is an average cost for martial arts instruction. What do you think, there, Bob? Uh, anywhere from one thirty-five to uh, $200 a month plus whatever equipment you have to buy, gloves, pads, focus mitts, sticks, groin protector, mouth guard, hand wraps, uh, gi, testing fees. It yeah. goes on depending on the school. It, 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 yeah. it, you know, some of these places charge a hefty, I'm sorry, a hefty amount is 150 a month. That is a hefty amount. That is a hefty amount, and that should be for but unlimited. LA. Yeah, because yes, you know yes. that's for, that's, that's for unlimited. Yeah, and that's and that's kind of Bob's point. I think is like in LA, 120 to 150 is average because it's today. Here in Seattle, they run anywhere between 65 a month to 120, um, even more depending on the gym and what they have to offer. You know, like if you're teaching traditional martial arts, I've found that it's between 65 to maybe, you know, 100 on an average per student. Um, and that's not counting, um, that's not counting family discounts, if any, you know. So, right, um, right. So, yeah, you know, it can be uh, dependent on um, your demographic. Some place, I don't remember where I read, but I read someplace, somebody's you know, if you want a if you want a successful martial arts school, open in a bad area of town. And I can't remember where I I said that, but I could have sworn that's what it said. And I thought, why? You know, no one in that area is going to be able to afford whatever you're you know asking. What let's just say ninety five bucks, ninety five bucks a month. You're a bad area of town, all the you know, where all the gang members uh, hang out and stuff like that. And how how is that going to, you know, get you great students? However, however, not, I'm not, I'm not um, blasting on that. Um, I just want to know how would that work to open the martial arts school with average tuition in a bad area of town or in a poor area of town? Um, okay, so, Rossi, I think we have to go one step further. I think we have to define the different areas of success. Is it yes. financial gain? Is it uh, uh, quality of life is it the 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 feeling of knowing that you help somebody 
use you one of your that, students, you save their ass out in the street. That's your success. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Or even something as as you know small as seeing light bulb in the kids' eyes go off and they go, "Oh, I get it." You know what I mean? That's it's true. That's my success. Now Matt Stone writes in. He writes, "I offer." I offer that comparison in, in, in a conversation like this. Defining terms is important. What does martial arts school mean? It will vary from person to person. One person may think a dojo or a kun. It may be a shiny storefront pop property with up signs, uh, a seat for observation of classes, et cetera, et cetera. Other people might think that this should be a lot different from that. Um, so I, the dojo I attended in Japan was really a small room in the back of a garage that focused on tire <laughs> Now, George George Kell writes in, and uh, he's talking about, you know, after-school programs and stuff like that. He writes, when I was teaching Taekwondo, I would ask my school-age kids if their homework was done. And if it wasn't, I would have them work on it, half the class, and then have them join in. So, there we go. Um, Eric right, I think success is equal to the number of long-term students. Ah, so Of course, I don't run a school, but ours, it's a constant battle to keep students long-term. Uh, David Bordeaux writes in, and he says, supposedly, the national average of martial arts classes monthly is about 147 bucks. So, 147 Okay. The sample size of the people who ran the poll was only around 300 schools of the nation, though. So, there you go. Um, and David goes, I really question the national average cost. Beneville is, is watching also. Um, Russ Ebert, so YWCA or the YMCA would probably be a better choice in opening in a bad area of town. Um, now, here's what Matt says. He says, Low income area equals low, lower overhead. Aha, makes sense. It's likely your survival. It, it, it's likely that you'll survive um, in an already high risk venture because it is. So if you quit your job in a martial arts school um, full time, and you have no students, you know it's it, a little part it's a little bit harder than kind of pavement you're looking for a job. <laughs> you know? You have to like yourself, okay, to convince people that your school is gonna be for their benefit, all that other kind of stuff. Uh Eric Tutra writes again that he pays around hundred dollars a month per uh, um and that he's got an awesome sense say and it's his full time profession. Like LA Armstrong watch again. Now uh, Russ writes, bad or out of town? Are we talking hobo tent, addict area of town, or like low-income family of town? Um, kind of in the middle. Like, I'm, I, I have this, you know, in my head that's more like, um, more like the project area. So low-income area, you know, subsidized housing, um, you know, gang, gang right. members that kind of thing, but not necessarily hobo tent, you know, ramshackle, you know, you know, shanty towns or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> now, 
thinking. Now, now we could go to, to another thing, Rusty, about let's say we take the largest uh, school chain in the country, which right now is the UFC chain. Right, right. They're taking from the UFC and same owners are saying, let's, let's, we're not, we're not happy with our billions of dollars we have owning these casinos. Let's make 10 billion more. So what they're doing, and there's nothing wrong with it because they're businessmen. They not only open up a school, school, they charge high prices, very high prices because they're UFC and everything that they sell is UFC branded. The gloves have the logo on it and the whole thing. That's going all the way to the other extreme. They don't open up in low in low income neighborhoods. They open up in in middle to high income neighborhoods. Yeah. And they're very successful. They've got a number of schools in Southern California. Five that I can name off the top of my head that I know of. But does that they mean they probably have only... another hundred out there? Right. Huh. No, well, I mean, would that mean though that only middle middle income people can train MMA? You know, <laughs> yes, and that's what they're marketing. Come train MMA. Come train with the professionals. Come with, train with the coaches, like uh, uh, Billy Burke. We saw a few weeks ago at the USA Hall of Fame. He's a manager of a UFC gym. He trains a fighter that we met, uh, Curtis. I forget his last name. That actually fights at Bellator MMA. He's fought there a couple times. Mm-hmm. So they've got all this marketing. Says you want to fight in the MMA? Come train with us. Right. It's brilliant marketing. It's, it's, yeah. They are just. Yeah. Well. Well. And it works. I mean. It. it I mean. It, it would make sense, right? You know, if you want to market well and 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 get fans and make money, then open open in a you know a little more affluent area. I mean, it makes makes perfect. Um, but what about the people that, you know, really want it and then, you know, not be able to afford it? Now, um, right past Well, there's schools like yours, Rusty, that offers uh, scholarships for, for low-income students in a middle-class neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And a lot of people go, have asked, you know, why are you giving, you know, giving away, you know, free classes? And I said, no, I'm not giving away free classes. I'm giving, you know, I'm giving partial scholarships. And it could be for, for you know, partial scholarship for a month, it could be two months, it could be three months, um, but not any more than that. But, you know, if I see the desire of some kids' eyes after they watch a class, they beg them or dad to, you know, to do the intro program with me, get through the intro program, they really want to wear the t-shirt, they want to wear a sash, they want the expensive they want a belt, or whatever, right? I, I see that desire. What am I going to say? You know, I can't say, oh, oh you can't afford it. Because it's going to be probably that kid that is going to end up in an incredible black belt, right? Right? So, never know. Right, but, Rosie, what, what steps do you go through? Because I, I can come in, let's say I'm making 150 grand a year. I can come in in some ratty old clothes and, you know, I'd really love to bring my son in, but I can't afford it. What right. steps well, do you go through to make sure that they. I mean, I, I, it's going to sound wrong no matter how I say it, but what steps do you go through to make sure they are who they say they are? Right. Well, you, know, you can't really go into their financial records. That's that's not cool, right. and that's against the law. Um, and I don't right. do any, like, searches or anything like that. 
because it's not it. What I do though is on our uh, on our application, you know, we ask you know name, age, birthday, um, uh, like uh, home phone number, work phone number, and employment. Okay, so I look at that first, right? Then I look at well, how many how many kids are there that can join? Is it one or is it going to be three? Is it a single parent? And, you know, it's kind of stuff like that to go off of the, the application um, that uh, go by. And it also depends on the conversation, too, right? You know, so if, uh, if a parent goes, well, I was at so-so school, and they don't teach people under eight years old, you know, and even if we went there, even though, you know, the tuition was a bit high. Oh, well, what was it? Well, it was like 100 or something like that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad you found it. Well, so, you know, it's a question uh, that, that kind of uh, interview, actually. I actually, I don't call it an interview with them. I, I talk to them. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty much like they live by what they write on the application like that. Right now, have you, have you ever gone outside though to see what kind of car they pull away in? Oh yeah, of course. Because oh, okay. a lot of times them too for people to actually sign my my digital application, I actually have to go outside because you know my the, uh, reception is really bad because uh, it's a I, I have my uh, thing on my tablet right. So I right. go, I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to go outside. My reception is really sucky. For hot, for this hot spot, and uh, we can go outside, you know. And then if it's with the kid, it never fails. You go out there, and the kids will all run to the car first before the parent. You have to go. Oh no no no! Come back here. We've got to put this in the car. Oh, oh okay. You know. Then they'll unlock it. And it's normally the people that are like middle income or percent parents or whatever that have like a smooth legacy out back, you know, Honda Civic. Without those go to and without flashing wheels, you know they don't have a Mercedes. They might have a, you know, like a an older van, like a Nissan Quest, you know, or something like that. So that's kind of that's kind of what I look at also. But you know that doesn't really stop anyone from from, from being all of a low income and having like let's say you know, a Lexus. So I got laid off from from playing and I haven't found work in like five months or something, right? So Exactly. Each case is different. You know, I've had, I've given away one of scholarships and, and scholar uh, part scholarships for three months that equal like two. That could be paid in payment as opposed to all up front. So each each scholarship is different. Um but you know, like you said, what's to stop you from saying, you know, I make this much a month, uh, make this much a month, you know. But someone actually came up to me and said, I make this much a, a month, how much would you give me for classes? If they have to tell me how much they make, then I'm going to kind of quirk an eye and go, why are you telling me? You know what I'm saying? It's going to kind of stink like a, like I'm trying to get cheaper, you know, cheaper tuition at that point. So, um, Ebert says or asks, can success be marked by goals? Can you even define those for other people? 
people know, you know, it's not our job to define goals or what defines success for other people. I'm interested in, in knowing what, what other people's goals are. Other people define success as, uh, is it, you know, uh, a family of minded people? Is it uh, that you're comfortable, you're not starving to death and trying to figure out where the, you know, we're going to pay rent from and stuff? That's success. So I can tell you, when I was first starting out, that was my success. I paid the rent this month. <laughs> and nobody could, you know? <laughs> right. You know? Um, Matt Stone, right, a good martial arts school, capable of community impact, could survive in a lower-income neighborhood where a retail business may drown in debt. They don't need to focus on monthly income to replenish the product or sale of business um, in a dojo like there is with a retail establishment. That's a good point, Matt. That's a good point. It's not a product, that kind of thing, unless you know you count like a black, black belt club as a product or a two-year black belt or a one-year black belt class package. Um John Lupo writes, I lean more towards smaller schools simply because they have less students and are probably more than happy to new ones. You're getting the help you need. Um, Tom, Tom, I'm plenty rusty about giving partial scholarships. Um, and Eric goes, well, Bob, 150K a year is close to poverty in California. Ain't that right? <laughs> you know, no kidding. You know what? I mean, you know, Seattle is getting up there. It is getting up there. The last site in Seattle was like I think the third, the fifth most expensive to live in. You know, of course, L was there, but it was it was pretty expensive, and it's getting getting ridiculous. Moving you know farther out in the suburbs because of the rent in Seattle. Let's do this real quick. Look at the average for. A two-bedroom apartment in Seattle on an average for 2017 a month. That's with a 1.49 from here, and a two-bedroom apartment is at around $2,777. That's more than my mortgage. When I had a house, <laughs> a four bedroom house. So, $1,777. Now, let's um, just compare this with uh, Los Angeles. It says I'm breaking up really bad. Can you guys hear me in there? Oh, where'd you go? Because uh, you're still there, you mute your mic. It, I muted my mic. It's, okay. it's it's better. Sometimes it, it's it's really clear. Then second later it goes out again. Okay. Now, what's the average rent in LA? A studio apartment for one thousand six hundred, and a one bedroom apartment acts on an average of about two thousand fifty six month. Holy crap! Two bedroom. Um. I'm probably going to cut it out again because I'm using it. <laughs> um, Lupo is 400 for how many rooms? Seriously? 
Oh my God! An average two bedroom is two thousand seven hundred and seventy-three. So it's on par with Seattle. Uh, three bedrooms, three thousand four hundred and eighty-five. Um, and an and an uh, an average apartment size for a two bedroom is about nine hundred and ninety-seven in L.A. So. There you go. I saw a place the other day that they were renting for $45,000 a month. Who? They were renting what? a mansion for forty five grand a month. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Must be nice to have that kind of money. <laughs> right. Nice. Oh, my goodness. So, anyway, folks, that's an open floor here at the dojo. If you want to talk about anything and everything martial arts, give us a call. Three four seven six seven seven zero six nine nine. Now, Bobby Edmund, my brother in the martial arts, he writes, you know, I've always argued there's no real money to be had in the martial arts. Money, you must do things. You must do things that, to some extent, compromise what you. Do. You must have contract. You must have. Um, uh, well, that's a, that was a long one. You must have contracts. You must have children's classes. You must have belt ranks. Now, this is to denigrate those. But that, just as the reasons you begin training won't be the same, you stay in training. If you're a teacher, the reasons you begin teaching won't be the same. You remain teaching after several years. That's true. That's true. Bobby Edmonds said, I started teaching in 2001 after Chris Petrilli, teacher to both Sifu Restita and I, Move away. At first, all I wanted to do was keep up my skills, bang on some other warm bodies. Dude, that didn't sound right to me. Just saying. <laughs> as as the years went on, and I continued training with other teachers, I began to see the impact I made uh, on my own students. Many of them went on to be respected teachers in their own right, and they were praised by their contemporaries. I slowly changed my focus from conventional martial arts teacher. To instructors of individuals on their own path, I see myself as a kind of bridge, martial artist looking for their destinations. Very cool, Bobby. Love you. <laughs> Even though you bang on warm bodies. Just saying. <laughs> all right, and John Lupo writes, you know, a one bed, one bath, one kitchen. Well, who who has two kitchens in an apartment? But a one bed, one bath, one kitchen, one fifteen by. 50-square-foot living room. Oh, 495 That's not bad. It's kind of like a studio. That's not bad, John. Um, Robert goes, uh, writes, people with multiple mansions want trustworthy folks to become a caretaker. Oh. <laughs> Bobby says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> this comment earlier. <laughs> and John goes, this is Bobby. Um, Russ Ebert said, also, you start to, you start teaching to find partners and, and you keep teaching because it's rewarding. It's a nice source of extra income. You know, and that's kind, kind of what I got into teaching for. It wasn't so much that the I wanted to be able to have my school, a place to call my own, my own dojo, right? And a place to help people and, uh, you know, and help, you know, change them, not change them, but, you know, help them if needed change. Because I never know who needs changing. People want them in for different reasons, right? But, you know, sometimes, and they let you know, sometimes students will, 
you know, experience really life-changing turnaround because of your classes, you know, and, you know, I, I didn't get into it that, but I just wanted to help people. And it just so happens that I make money. So, yeah. <clears throat> All right. So, so, so John, John and Bobby are arguing over who glued and not and stuff like that. So, anyway, uh, our flight number seven 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 zero six nine. Right up it's open for the dojo. Um. Janie writes, I don't get paid to teach. I do it because I enjoy it. Now, a seminar will charge, but I don't feel the need to charge $100 per person. Yeah. Now, earlier, I forget if it was Russ or John that mentioned it, you know, um, something about, you know, what keeps students in the school, you know, what, what can you do to keep students in the school, Um and uh, and also, I think he he asked about teaching kids. You know, how do you keep them interested? How do you keep their attention? So there are two other subjects that we're putting up there. Um, yeah, how to keep people engaged in your lessons to make them want to continue? That's a good question. Um, Say that again. You broke up. No, sorry. Um, what are your thoughts on how do you how do you keep people? engaged in your lessons to make them want to continue training? You know, that that question can be so deep. It depends on what they want because you're not going to be able to, to give everybody what they want and what they need at the same time. If you give them what they need, they may not come back. If you give right. them what they want, you may disappoint the other students. Because what yeah. you, what somebody else wants, and you're giving that person, you're giving it to that person, is not going to be what everybody else wants. Exactly. That's exactly. Wow. Is that even an answerable question? Maybe it is. You know, it it it's true. You know, I think that 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 those answers would depend on the teacher, right? Because you're, you know, if you teach right. them what they need, they might quit. But it all depends on how you approach it. If you approach, you know, these days, if you approach it like a drill sergeant, you know, drop or knuckle push-ups at the slightest infraction, you better not whine and all this kind of junk, you might get people that quit, especially if they're kids, right? There's a way to, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in, in the way to be firm and for them to understand what the discipline is rather than acting good because they're afraid of push-ups or banking. There's a difference. Yeah, that's not discipline. That's just being afraid of the being afraid of the ruler or the you know spanking or whatever right um, but then on the other hand if you do whatever he wants then everyone every then not everyone but people will think that they can dictate what you know what to do in class right i mean i don't know how many times i get in my you know private school classes can we do this can we do that can we do this no you know the rules who has a plan and we're going to stick to the plan and if there's time in class, we will do what you want, but we're going to stick with my plan, <laughs> right? <clears throat> so, you know, that's, that's, but, you know, it's true. The, the answer is going to differ from teacher to teacher, but um, what would, I, you know, you taught a lot of classes, Bob. So 
if you have someone kind of like uh, not putting 100% in something or just being bleh during class, so what would you do to kind of like, you know, the ante a little bit in the class to, to step up a little bit? Now, you've known me a long time. Uh, my thing is, especially during testing, is you will give me what I want. I want certain things out of you. And maybe that's why I'm not teaching the public that much anymore. Probably, because I, I would have turned around and walked away. <laughs> You know, right. <laughs> I turned around and walked away with with a slave driver kind of, you know, hint to that. You will do what I no, I no, I, no, meaning I will push them beyond their capabilities, push them beyond their limits. Right. Get them right. out of their comfort zone. Right. Right. And that's right. what I'm going to want, and that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I used to do that, but I got to the point where you know what? I'm not going to ask someone what I can't do now. So if I'm going to so everyone has to do a hundred push with their black belt test, and if me, I'll get them get on my ass and do, you know, or get on my hands, I should say, <laughs> you know, I'll get my ass. Yeah, do you were doing so, push-ups, not sit-ups. To to let them know that I was there, because too it's all too easy for any of us to go give me a hundred push-ups for your test while we just sit there, you know, sipping on coffee or Pepsi or whatever and watching them do their push. I want them to know that I can still do what they do, albeit a little slower. <laughs> I'm a little right. heavier, skin <laughs> a little bit more, you know. And 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 I and I try to show that to them, you know. When I demonstrate, you know, street self defense, you know, I want them to see what you know, quick, fast, and 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 hard looks like when it and the attitude, um, you know. So when it comes to tests, you know, I just kind of go, oh, okay, what could what could I do? To, because, you know, some tests are 100, tests are, are 300, you know. If someone's in really good shape, then I'll say, oh, you're going to do 300 push-ups and 300 sit-ups and 300 jumping jacks and, you know, and that and the other thing. Um, because I've done it, but, I'm, you know, uh, if that puts them beyond their comfort zone, then great. If they puke, that's even better. <laughs> oh yeah, but you'll have to remember, Rusty, the diff- the difference between the young people doing 100 push-ups or through a test and us working through the same test is they're going to be going out for a beer afterwards. We're going to be soaking in the jacuzzi. Yeah, exactly. I'm g- I'm going to be finding an Epsom bath <laughs> after a test like that. I mean, heck, I mean, I remember this is kind of off the subject. I remember I went to a summer. And uh, part of the, and it was one of those seminars where, you know, like, you know, what we do, what, what's going to happen. It's an hour here, an hour, an hour here, an hour there. Well, I spent most of the day with a CEO guy, and he had us doing groundwork. So we were doing squats and all sorts of crazy core stuff and this and the other for like half the day, or at least I did. So some people, they did the whole, for the whole series. And I forgot who the teacher was, but. I got home that night and I felt I'm okay. You know, didn't take a hot bath or anything like that. Woke up and swear to God, someone cut off my legs because I couldn't feel them. <laughs> couldn't move them. <laughs> Everything from my neck down was sore. And I thought, what the hell am I thinking? <laughs> right. <laughs> now, Terry Lee Lopez says, socks. Sparring is so lame. 
but the kids love it. What's sock sparring? Do you fill a sock with stuff and you bat each other with it? What's sock sparring? I want to know what that is. Um, and Russ asked. And then, then there are those of us, Rusty, when, when we were younger, I was working out with Randy Williams, and I guess I guess they dropped because I was trying to outdo Sifu. And so we were doing some arm pounding. And uh-huh. I saw a smile, a smile came on Randy's face because he knew what I was doing. My arm the next day were black and blue from my wrist to my biceps. Serves you right, though. <laughs> I was like, what, was, what the hell was I doing? Yeah, serves you right. I'm trying to grow some balls with know. me. <laughs> I know. And I guess they just dropped that day, and I'll never forget that. Oh, he was rubbing man. gel on him the next day. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've we've had that where we test our guys, and the next day they're crawling, you know. And, uh, you know, and that's why we don't hold, we don't hold tests during, like, a Friday night or something. Because we want there at 10, and if we get done at 6, I don't care if we're done at 10. I don't care if we get done at in the in the evening, but I go home sore, and and all I got to do is say, dude, we've been there. Drew and I have been there. Yeah. Oh yeah, I make sure when they go out for a beer that night, they can't hold it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have to use both hands. You know that, drink that beer. Yeah, then you know they they earn that belt. Um, now Janie says, I believe it's all in the instructor. If you keep it exciting and mix it up. Um, I'm most, I'm mostly an extrovert with my instruction. I'm loud and give praise for everything they do if they do it right. And I talk to them in a correct exactly. That's what I do also. Um, you know the three marble rule, right? There's only three marbles that can fit in your head. If you try to stick in five, two are gonna just come popping out the other side. So you know, and I have a lot of repeating. So you know, for someone learning, like let's say a kid. You know, and they're having problems with their steel. Usually, go, hey, your sidekick is along the really great. Can I give you some advice on how to make that sidekick better? When I hit with our heel, so you'll pull your toes in so your heel touches that that pad. Kind of this. See how my heel is getting in there? Let's see if your heel can get in there. (laughs) Of course, I don't sound like that, but you know, it's uh, for kids. It's a great thing, and. Kids remember a lot more than we give them credit for. That's another thing. Um, Tom Dwyer goes, my God, with you guys, I'd be on my knuckles. ADHD and dementia roll in. Aw, dude. <laughs> I won't drop for 300 push-ups. <laughs> and Russ Ebert, is there a similarity between kids being in gaming classes? Um, and and uh, and then it cuts off. Um, and Russ goes, Bob may want to take her my comfort zone, but I am not sure if the lead auxiliary is a black belt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Russ has got to run. He's going to watch the rest later. Rusty, uh, Rusty please put the phone number again says Bobby. All right, it's right up here. Four seven six seven seven zero six. 
347 So let me go ahead and write this down. 347 All right. So if you want to talk to us, call and go and check the all right. So John goes, our socks sounds like flag tag. We had a belt with two flags on the ship, and you had to try to pull. Yeah, I I do flag tag also. Pete trying to trying to grab each sock. Oh, yeah. I used to call it dragon tails. I used to cut up old collar belts and use those uh, use those as tails. You had to try to, to grab it. Uh, we would do uh, single matches, battle rail to see who would do the most, uh, or to see who would be the last person standing. <laughs> and you weren't allowed to go behind anyone. You, you weren't allowed to go from, if you were behind someone, you had to engage. You had to actually be face-to-face with them and try to get around their guard and stuff like that. Um, yes, Jane, kids are sponges. That's right. Um Let's see. Regarding uh, regarding retention, Janie has a lot of great uh, stuff there. You want to keep moving. You know, I found that you know me personally, if I want to do, if I really want to work on, let's say, you know, two strikes, two strikes, and a kick, I will base drill and interactive games of sorts with the kids that focus only on those activities where you have to do an inward like to make the next thing happen or you have to you know practice your sidekick a certain way or try to try, try to outdo partner how many do in 15 seconds or something like that and it can only count if you hit with your heel on the sidekick or something so you know if turn it into know friendly competitive games that um and uh just repeat this the stuff but with different activities i find that the kid retention of those movements uh tends to tends to stick because i used to be one of those people when i taught like a kid's class off the bat okay give me 20 strikes one two three four 20 long inward strikes, da, da, da. give me 20 inward strikes, 20 downward strikes. So it's only 20 each, right? As opposed to maybe practicing 100 of them for the whole for the whole class, right? I guess the key is disguising it. So we have someone calling the Great Northwest. I think I might know who this is. For the whole class, right? I guess the key um, is But whoever this is, he turn off their laptop. <laughs> Bobby is here. Area code 206. You're on Dynamic Dota Talk Radio. Who's this? Hey, Rusty. It's Bobby. Hey, Bobby. How's it going? Hey, it's all right. You're coming through a little choppy. Um, but uh, listen, I just want to just warn you a little bit. I had like about five or six angry orchard hard ciders, so my filters might be a little bit off, but I've also had a large <laughs> helping of mashed potato, so I should be okay. Um, okay. Listen, so I want, I want to just clarify a couple things. Number one, um, about teaching children, uh, th- I wanted to say I didn't get a chance to write this because for some reason posting is very limited. Uh, I can't uh, write too long a post on blog talk, but – there, there, it's like people teach for different reasons. You, I have witnessed firsthand, are excellent at te- – I actually think teaching children is your forte. 
you are like a oh, master of this. Um, so there are some people that are really good at teaching like a certain direction or a certain age or certain children. I wasn't trying to be denigrative when I said, you know, you must compromise by teaching children. Oh, I was saying oh, I didn't take if it. you're going to teach, if you're going to teach um, to earn a profit, that is a route that you must take because if you rely on adults only and say, oh, I teach advanced martial arts, I tell people I teach advanced martial arts. I have like six students. Now, I, I, I also mm-hmm. turn away a lot of students, but um, that's the, the kind of the case you face. If you want to make money, and especially if this is your only livelihood, you must make compromises. That was my point I was trying to make. And the second right. thing I want to say is um, when you were talking about um, training like at a test and you make them do 300 sit-ups and 300 push-ups, this really resonated with me because I had a teacher that would wear us into a thin thread for push-ups, sit-ups, running in place, doing all this other stuff, blah, 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 blah. And we were about dead. And then he would say, okay, now, flower dance. Now, Kimbonga. Now, technique 575. Or what he would pull something out of his, you know, repertoire. And what he would call this, he'd say, you rarely in, real, in ordinary life, he'd say, you would rarely run into yourself. He said, when you are absolutely dead, dogged out, dragged down, and then, you know, it's like your, your mind can't focus, your, your body is completely exhausted, and he says, okay, now we begin. This is your test. Uh, let me see the foot traps. Let me see this form. I want to see you do it with composure and focus. And you would – it's almost like um, how I feel now after seven or eight hard ciders. It's like your, your <laughs> body seems to be leaving its own shell. Right. And you experience, and I don't know how many people out there can can relate to this, but you experience a different uh, kind of training environment where you are completely exhausted. Your mind cannot function. Your your body cannot function. And now you must do something that is completely outside your. And he said only elite athletes like Michael Jordan or other people can relate to this. You run into yourself. You literally step side of your own consciousness, your own body, and you are you are moving. It's almost like your mind and your body are operating outside of your control. Damn so yeah, that's what I right. wanted to say. I probably sound pretty stupid right now, but um, no, no, you don't. It's like you know, Cheryl and I, you know, when we went through that hell of a test, you know, down Culver City, however many yeah, eons ago, it was it was exactly the same thing. No food, no water no breaks eight hours straight they, 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 yeah that was they, the important thing no water no food you get no input uh physical or anything you must suffer through it yeah and i yeah and you said it quite you know quite right that you you start to go out of your body you start to, i almost felt like i was on a vision quest almost right i was like yeah, that's a way of saying it vision quest yeah, and then you just do what you need to do. And I don't, don't remember much of that test. Um, <laughs> I don't. But there, I, it was funny. There was one part in the test where there was like 13 of us. Okay, the rest of you have to attack that person. And if you pin them on the ground for three seconds, uh, it, pretty much it was like if you pin them on the ground for three seconds, they fail. Or you, uh, <coughs> yeah, they, if you don't, you fail. Mm. about that right you know? yeah <laughs> you know so you've got, you've got like you know a, a friend a colleague or whatever you know and like well should we pin down should or not 
not. Uh, uh, <laughs> right? But at that point in time, you know, you know, all the all the masters knew that we were we were all at a point where we didn't care who each other was. We just wanted to be over. And if that meant I had to knock somebody out, I care. <laughs> you know, but there was one time, there was one time where I almost wanted to quit. And Cheryl whispered in my ear, you quit myself. I'm up, up, up. I'm up. Who do I get? Who do I get? I'm up. I'm up. I'd much rather deal with this. Thank you. <laughs> Oh man! There was yeah, a place. Were... There was a there was a place in Indonesia where uh, we uh, okay. So the the kembangan, the flower dance, um, for a, a a test, we had to do the flower dance starting at midnight. We had to do it ninety nine times, and they say that's when you're wed to the the form. You actually know it so well, and you have to do it ninety nine times over the course wow. of the night. But all we get to do, haha. We don't get water. Now, I want, to, I want to point this out. We're in Indonesia. Now, at night, it's kind of cool, but it's still, you know, the jungle. And yeah. we had to drink coconut whiskey, known as oh. Arak, or in Chinese, it's called Guan Guan Hu. We don't get yeah. water. So we're drinking this. So and you guys are... At one, at one point, <laughs> at one point, I'm pretty sure I see my brains leave my, my head. <laughs> and I said, I said... I said, Pendekar, um, I'm, I, I don't know if this is true or not, but as I look around, I think I'm training with a bunch of giant killer robots wearing gorilla suits. And he said, just keep going, keep going, keep going. <laughs> and uh, the next morning, and we and you, you hallucinate like crazy. And you go, but yeah. that's the whole experience. Next morning, we're all passed out. We're wrapped up in multiple sarongs. We're all like, oh, God, I'll never drink again. And just all this stuff and drinking coffee. But it, that's the experience. That's the, but it's also the whole experience of how you earn that title, how you get to that point. You were right. doing that. that I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I stopped after like 50 times doing the Kimbongan or not. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure I didn't make it to 99. I know I didn't do that. I don't think anybody did. But that's, the, that's what you go through. And, and that's only in one village. Other villages have other tests. You know, they talk about uh, – there's some that do it on like the the old fire walking thing, oh, walking uh, on hot coals. There's other, there's others that do it with, uh, you know, they try to do tests of strength, like breaking a coconut with your shin or your bare hands. And it's, okay, those oh. are that. I kind of think that I, uh, uh, the, that experience of drinking a, drinking coconut whiskey <laughs> oh my at God. night and doing the kimbangan, that changed me. <laughs> that was I came out of I came out of the jungle a different man after that. <laughs> Yeah, well, that'll change your internal organs. It'll change, you know, <laughs> that'll, change, that'll change a lot of things. <laughs> most of the next day in the bathroom, I'll tell you that. But, yeah, that was a uh, <laughs> okay, with, So, yeah, that was uh, Oh, man. You know, that actually sounds good, actually. But not in place of water. I, I'd, I'd be puking up my guts at that point. Coconut, coconut whiskey, is if you've never had it before, it's really sweet, and it creeps up on you. When you first drink it, you think it's nothing. You're sitting there going, oh, yeah, this is easy. I could, I could take this. And after a couple – they serve it in these little little baby, little small um, – I don't want to say casks, but they're, they're, there's little bottles. And they just barely fit in your hand, and there's, oh, you, you think it's nothing. You write it off. 
and then an hour later, you're you're seeing God. You're 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 talking to the ancestors and you're speaking in tongues and all this other stuff. And it's like, what's going on? And it freaks you out. And you're kind of going, uh, but but you don't want to look like you know a wimp in front of you know your teacher. So you 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 carry on. But like I said, there's there, I, I looked around and I was like, I swear I'm training with a bunch of killer robots wearing gorilla suits. And I don't know where I got that from, but it's on tape. So yeah, there's that. Oh my goodness! All right, we have another we have another caller. Um, uh, someone okay, has thanks, Rusty. Oh well, you can stay on the line. That'd be great. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I, I will. Yeah, let's <laughs> bring on area code five six two five six two. You're on Dynamic Dojo Radio. Who's this? Hey, it's Terry Lopez again. Hey, Terry. Yeah, I got your message. Now, why is the call number not working? I'm like, should be working. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, was, it just. It glitched the first time. I got it in the second. Oh, so, right on. No, uh, I like I like the topic that he was on about you know he, I I didn't do martial arts as a child, but I played a lot of sports and even mm-hmm. like in baseball I was a catcher and my job was to control the field. So you're like mm-hmm. on on site sergeant, and it was always really cool when you got that player that we always called in the zone. And mm-hmm. if you notice in baseball, the pitchers sit somewhere and nobody talks to them. You know, you're in the middle of a game and you're pumped up and you're screaming, you're excited, guy gets a home run, but you leave the pitcher alone. You know, mm-hmm. the only guy that kind of went over there was like his best buddy, you know, and kind of knew what to say and when to say it, or the catcher to communicate what direction we're going. And that's what I like mm-hmm. about martial arts that, you don't have just one guy in the zone. You know, you mm-hmm. can have your three-quarter I, – I, I hate to say everyone in the class because it's really hard. Some days some people are checked out. Even, like, for my kid, he's not a black belt. He's getting close. But the black belts check out. You know, it's just human mm-hmm. nature. And the thing is with, with you guys being instructors, which I'm not. I instruct my kid personally, but I'm not really technically – I'm not an instructor. But as, a, as an athlete, as a coach, to me, it doesn't matter what you teach as long as you bring the value to what you're teaching. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what mm-hmm. you guys do to each and every student. And I love um, uh, Mr. Ramsey uh, Helsley, Indiana Helsley, which you guys know. They're, uh, they're my son's mm-hmm. instructors in Northville, California. And some days he's really hard, but then he tries to throw a little joke in there to, to break the ice. You know, and, mm-hmm. and that's the thing I was talking about, the sock sparring. You know, to me, it's like, oh, my God, we're sock sparring. It's so lame. But it's not because the excitement for the kids is like, I mean, they'll come in the next day, thing out of their mouth. You know? Yeah. And it's like, well, we see if we can get time and how good you were. So it's kind of a, a, a tool to get you going down that path. Yeah. You know, I've watched kids come in the first day crying not wanting to be there. Now they're the first ones in the class, mousing around, yeah. running, ready to go. You know, exactly. and that is just a wonderful thing that you don't get that at daycare, you know? <laughs> I yeah. mean. Exactly. I, just yesterday I had a kid that came that was, he started out really young ho and then all the rest of the kids came in. And then he refused to come out. He wasn't quite crying. He was close to it. I was thinking, wow, you know, did he, he must have been thinking that he'd be the only 
student. <laughs> and now there are these other strange kids here. I don't want to do Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. So John Lupo writes uh, about what Bob was talking about, you know, dancing, dancing, flower dances, and drinking whiskey all night. He writes, sounds like one of those movies where, uh, where you're watching Watch the montage, the montage where that one guy, the main character, has a beat, and that and that that one is just smashing boulders with his knee. Like it's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. The montage, the battle montage of uh, getting ready for battle and stuff like that. <laughs> so we got Tom Peebles. Hey, Bobby. Tom Peebles is watching. Yeah. Big Tom. <laughs> Big Tom Peebles. Watch how you doing, Tom? TJ Mayo is watching, and Tom Dwyer is back. So yay! And another shout out to Tom Dwyer. He's got his own. He's got his own uh, Facebook live show, the Big Daddy Road Show, adult comedy podcast. Check it out, Bobby. You should check it out. He's pretty funny. <laughs> Dave Wilson yeah. is also watching. Right on. Since we're on this subject, like I said, it's open for here at the dojo. Can talk about anything and everything martial arts related. It looks like we kind of, kind of like went, went the way of like, you know, testing, exams and stuff like that in in martial arts. Let's hear from you guys. What what's your this test like? I mine kind of like Bobby's, but I, I didn't drink any whiskey. <laughs> 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 what about you, Bob? <laughs> Let's hear about your. Your black belt has. Oh my God! I, I, I think I'm having that memory lapse where I just wanted to block that out of my psyche. <laughs> Let's hear about it. I remember, I remember horse stands for an hour. I remember knuckle push-ups on asphalt. I was digging asphalt rocks out of my knuckles for a week. Oh. It, it was not concrete. It was a driveway. Yeah, Because I right. grew up in backyard schools, garages. Uh, uh, you know, some, sometimes it was... I push-ups on broken glass. <laughs> broken glass. And you have to walk 10 miles in the snow to get to it. <laughs> Through running alcohol river. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my my instructors used rubbing alcohol so they could laugh as I was starting to cry. Aw. So what, what? Did you what, cry with tears of water? <laughs> Luxury. No, it was blood. <laughs> are, are we going to have a pissing contest here? <laughs> no. When I got home, my instructor used to slice us in two with a bread knife. <laughs> I might be a little drunk. He's a little drunk. It's all good. No, Bobby's funny anyway. You know, uh, so Bob, Bobby is funny anyway. I, I love that. He, you know, he's he's at parties. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so, but no, what art was this? What what art was this that you? That was you? back in the day. That was Okinawan Tay and Wing Chun. When I got oh. punished, that was the Okinawan Tay side. Oh, it makes sense. John the Chun wasn't like that. Yeah, mm. okay, that makes sense. John Lupo writes, finally found a place to go. Well, 
is and, and you did you did pose a question but it, it kind of got interrupted with some static and I didn't hear what the question was. Could you repeat it please? Um, the, oh the question was the latest question was how was your martial arts black belt test like? Because uh, we had a killer Bobby who's still with us that described his test which was based around doing a bunch of physical stuff for hours and hours for upon hours on end. And they weren't allowed water. We had to drink coconut water. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. What, what, what an interesting question. That is, that's very interesting. Uh, I'll have to say that uh, Cecil Paul Jackson was the one that, that ranked me, gave me my, uh, my, my black belt in Kajukimbo. And this was in, in uh, 77. And it was a series of different surprise attacks, um, and and it lasted about maybe a week and a half, where he would actually come to my house about 11 o'clock at night, and we'd go out in the backyard, and I'd get beat up, or I'd learn a kata on the spot, or some some uh, some, uh, some Japanese and Korean terms that I had to remember the next day, uh, without being able to write things down. Uh, right. He even played. He even played a, a, a trick on me and uh, said he was getting into a fight with some guys that he met in the club and wanted me to come and help. And I was supposed mm-hmm. to meet him at this club at a certain time. And I was uh, only like 17 years old, so I was scared as hell. And I ended up showing up at the club. And when I met up with him, he said I was just testing you to see if you would come and support me. You know. Um, and on on the day of the final test, this happened to be in February in Texas, and I know Texas is known for its heat, but in the winter it can be very cold. So in in yeah. February we meet at this gym with no heat, and it was probably twenty three, twenty four degrees, and that's oh. how we finished the test. Everything we did, we were frozen. Oh you know, damn. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was that, that was my that was my experience. <laughs> One extreme to the other. 
like Bobby was in like tropical jungle. I was down in Silver City in the middle of August, and I was like, and I almost forgot, I forgot about this. They locked us in a big ballroom at the hotel, and they turned up. <laughs> so, only was it 104 outside. Uh, they turned up and and not you know Cjo was there, and Tony Ramos was there. Tony Ramos, you know, we were all oh, wow. already messed up, and it was it was not long before I think I forgot how many years later he got on, but you know, was there, and he was asking questions that meant trust up. And you had a you had a heavyweight board, man. That was heavyweight. Yeah, it was crazy, and for being you know yelled at or you know for having shadows near the wall. Don't even get near that wall. You'll be leaning on it. You know, oh my God, it was like, uh, I just you know, <laughs> I'm just like, wow. what? no, no, no break. You know, the, a poor girl from Germany, one of Steve Wells, uh, told, uh, or no, it was, uh, one of the people from the school. The poor girl, like, was so dehydrated, you know, that when it, it was the test was finally over, he barged into the next ballroom, which was where they were having. Um, a tournament, a Kajukenbo tournament, and she busts right. open the door. Boom! There's like tables, pitchers of water, and we, we all busted through there. We're grabbing pitchers of water. <laughs> and we're dumping it down our gullets. Well, big it, like a lot of water. She stood there for I forgot like ten minutes and just like some water. And so we got our black shirts to change to. We go into a, a women's bathroom to change and. Birgit comes rushing in, and before she even gets to the door, she kicks it open and, and just pukes, and it, it just like pukes, going five feet, and, and she missed. <laughs> We're all holding her hair back. It's okay. You're okay. Oh, my God. Uh, you know? <laughs> he just, just, like, drank so much water, and so that was uh, salt water. Some of the masters gave her salt water to you know, bring up her electrolytes, stuff. all that salt water and like pictures of water. It was like, oh man, that poor girl, you know. And and if someone earned it, she did, you know. You know, someone that cause she got beat hell up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all did. There's a picture somewhere with all of us with like, you know, my lower lip is all like, you know, swollen, and I've got a black eye that's no swollen shut. <laughs> Everyone else is like, you know, stuff, and I was like, yeah, I can change this for nothing. Can I do that, that now? <laughs> now, now, Tom asks, since we're all here, since we have a little panel of sorts, Tom Dwyer asks, question, what belt are you most likely to be at a point where you defend yourself at a provision, at a proficient level? At this age, I'm just thinking I should get a gun permit. That's a good question. So let's start with Bob and work around and see what answers we can get. So, Bob. Well, now, what was his question? What rank would we, we would become proficient in self-defense? Yeah, what Is that rank what I'm hearing? Someone, yeah, what belt would someone be most likely to be at a point where they can defend themselves at a proficient level? And he says, at this age, I'm just thinking gun permit. <laughs> thinking at this age, 
I'm 52 you know, and I'm and that goes back is it depends on the student. I've seen right. I've seen green belts that, that could defend themselves against very accomplished artists. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I've seen black belts that couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. Thank you. Right. Thank you. But they were they were right. talented. They were very talented. But right. couldn't fight. Yeah. Um, Bobby, what are you? What's your thoughts on? Um, <clears throat> could you would would you be so kind as to repeat the question again? I'm so sorry. Sure. Tom Dwyer asks, "What belt or rank someone need to be to, to be likely to be proficient to defend themselves?" Okay, level. that goes right back to what uh, Bob Dahl just said, Sifu Bob Dahl. Yeah. Um, you, you, it, you know, rank to me is so extremely personal. I don't have group rank tests. Each individual person is, is tested at their own level and pushed to be a little bit more than what they already are. I wanted to, I, I wanted to say this earlier, actually. I wanted to kind of comment on this. I used to think that um, – there's a lot of people that I train with that I shouldn't have. And I wish that I, I hadn't wasted my time with some of the people that I'd given my arm to and my, my health to and my trust to. Mm-hmm. And I teach now because I think there might be another younger version of Bobby Edmonds out there looking for an answer to, you know, what he's, his, his martial arts question today. Yeah. And instead of all the ooga booga that's fed, fed to people sometimes and the mysticism and the, 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 the demand for worship, I should say. I, I try to make it clear to people that, you know, what your skill level is shouldn't be measured against what other people are or what right. some typical standard of rank is. I really mm-hmm. like doing things on an individual level. I, I, I complained earlier I only have a few students. That's actually by choice. I turn away right. a lot of people and send them to other places. I'm looking for people who are really, really hungry for the knowledge. And don't look for rank. There is no step, step, you know, typical rank that where you're proficient. Mm-hmm. Proficiency is at every level. There's always somebody better than you. There's always somebody worse than you. You need yeah. to look at martial arts. In my opinion, I'm, I'm only saying my opinion. Everybody will, you know, a lot of people disagree with this. Also, I'm kind of drunk. But um, <laughs> I believe that your own proficiency <laughs> depends on not judging yourself on how other people are, but looking at your own journey, how far you've come. What were you exactly. doing? I have a student right now, and I'm not going to name his name, but if he hears this, he'll know exactly who he is. He's been with me for seven years. Right after I got my back surgery, um, he came to my class, and there's several times I was going to just teach him. And he was like, no, please, come on. I need to know this. I really want to train with you. Please keep teaching, blah, 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 blah. But he was extremely uncoordinated. I mean, getting him to cross the room without tripping over his own shoelaces was an effort from God. Oh, and now, just this morning, just this morning, we had we had a class this morning. It was Pangamut of all things, and he was moving and grooving like he was a member of the Temptations. He was like just, <laughs> just catching on and 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 clicking and getting things. And he'd get a lock, and I'd I'd counter it and pass him off, and he would just turn right around and get a compression and get a get a trap and get a this get. A, and I was like, man, you know what? When you came to me like seven or eight years ago, I couldn't get you. I, you didn't even know left from right, and now you stick a knife in my gut, no hesitation. It's like that, that's what I'm looking for. It's like somebody that I can bring to a level that where he starts understanding his own, his own body, his own motion. And, and um, I don't know if I'm making sense here, but uh, when You're I get to a level of proficiency, 
and they don't look at other mm-hmm. people and go, God, well, I'm not Bruce Lee. Well, I'm not Dan Asanto. Don't measure yourself against that. The world already had Bruce Lee. We've already had Dan Asanto. You know, I, I, I was the same way, and I decided, okay, I should be the first Bobby Edmonds because I'm not going right. to be those guys. And I, I told him the same thing. I'm like, you need to be the first, this guy, you, who you are. Make your own path. Don't, don't measure yourself and say, well, I'll never be this person. I'll never be that person because I used to get despairing. I was like, you know, Chris Petrelli, if anyone has ever seen him, Rusty knows who I'm talking about. He's built mm-hmm. like a tank, former yep. army, army ranger. And I couldn't get a compression on him that would make him blink, let alone acknowledge it. It was like, I was like, you know, I would do something to him, and he would literally lift me off the ground. He's got arms like a tree trunk. He and, would compress uh, people with, I was his, like, with his Yeah, it's like he couldn't, he, he didn't matter. He didn't, he didn't need skill. He didn't need martial arts to, to whip my scrawny ass. So I'm sorry. But um, that's what I'm getting at. It's like, you know, I couldn't be Chris Petrelli. So it's like that's why I went to Indonesia. That's why I lived there. It's like I wanted to be, I wanted to find my own path, and that, that's why I try to tell people here, is find your own path. Don't compare yourself. There is no standard of rank, because any standard of rank is somebody else's idea of of what you should be in the martial arts. And sometimes it's overly uh, aggressive. Sometimes it's it's oh seek out the meditative, passive way, and other times. Like what I try to do is simply point people in a direction that I think they are most likely to succeed in. And I say, okay, mm-hmm. use your strengths, use your weakness. Play to your strengths, but build up your weaknesses. Build up where you're weak and make them strong, so they're not a weakness to you. Right. That's how I feel. Rank <clears throat> and proficiency in, in in what you do at every level. Like right now, I said seven. That guy's been with me for about seven years. Right mm-hmm. now, he is far more proficient than the guy who came to me seven years ago. If I turn yeah. loose right now, he's got a lot of confidence. He's got a lot more ability, but there's so much more to go. I told him this morning, I was like, you know what? There's so much more I want to give you, and I almost feel like I'm overloading you because I'm giving you all this, and we're doing knife. We're doing karambit. We're doing leg traps. We're doing foot sweep. We're doing all this, you know, silat, kali, hyper, all this other stuff. And I, I'm like, I feel like I'm overloading you sometimes. And he, on the other hand, has changed his attitude from before he was just sitting there waiting for me to spoon feed him. And now mm-hmm. he's as hungry for the information. Like he wants it like a fat kid wants McDonald's. He is after it. <laughs> he, he comes to me. He's like, what else can I get? He's like, what are we doing today? He takes notes. He films things. He goes home. He comes back every day. He comes back, and he has memorized what it was I given him. Even if he hasn't mastered it, I don't have mm-hmm. to retrain him on Monday the way like you know in a conventional class. And I have other students like this as well, but this guy's a standout because he was a complete – I'm not trying to be denigrative when I say this. He was a complete, utter klutz who had no idea what his body was doing left or right side. And now he just moves and grooves. Like I said, this morning he disarmed me and stuck it right into my gut without thinking. I was like, dude, I've been waiting seven years for you to do that. I've been waiting seven years for you to do that. Well done. I didn't see it coming. It's a testament to your teaching and also his, his tenacity because many people would have quit long before that, especially if they down on themselves about, oh, I'm not making progress, everyone else is better than me, blah, blah, blah. You know, people would have quit, but he just kept coming. So, there you well, go. Yeah, he, he was, um, he also kept me, well, you know, the, after the first couple of years after my spine surgery, mm-hmm. I just wanted to stop teaching at all. I wanted to withdraw from humanity. And he would not shut the hell up. He wouldn't, he wouldn't leave me alone. He kept coming around. He's like, are we training today? Let's do this somebody today. Hey, I'm coming over. Hey, blah, 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 blah. 
I'll be over there in 10 minutes. He would do this, and I'd get so irritated. I'm like, I didn't even invite you. I'm not teaching. Go away. Leave me alone. Uh-huh. That was the first two years. And <laughs> I, I got to give him kind of credit because if he's listening, because he will be, he, he, he always listens to like, the show and doesn't chime in. Uh, this is the reason that I'm teaching right now. This guy came around and made me re-engage with humanity and made me leave my own shell of depression and, and intro, introversion and mm-hmm. reach out to humanity again. And now I'm teaching again. Now I want to be alive again. I want to do things again. I, I'm, I'm, I'm writing books again. I'm doing stuff again. He did that. And he did that as a rank amateur. And now I'm just like, here, here's everything. Here's what we're doing. Da, da, da. I've got other students now. It's like my, uh, I don't know how to word this. My, my, Faith in, in training and, and teaching and everything is growing. I've got a school now. I'm doing other stuff again. But he did this without skills. And now we're seven years down the road, and he is moving and grooving. He is, he, you, could wow. put him back in, you could put him in Chris Petrelli's school right now, and Petrelli would be like, yeah, sure, join in. He, you, you got skill. You can do this. You know the basics. Not- you know what you're doing. I have every confidence he would do that. There, that's, I'm, I think I rambled too much. Sorry. That's okay. Let's go to let's let's go to Professor Patrick. I think he's in line with us. Yes, Professor Patrick, your thoughts on that? You know, is there is there a rank where people <laughs> can defend themselves? I guess Dwyer was talking yeah, well, in terms of being out of you know a, a serious fight, or a serious fight, right. not someone you know, not some monk or something like that, but something utter dangerous. You know, you 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 know, you've got those you've got those different vantage points to to look at that. You know, uh, if, if to ask the to answer the question in the way that the gentleman presented the question, uh, through my experience, uh, I can tell you that the way we train in a Kaji Kimball system or a Kimball concept, man, brown belts are the hardest fighters that I have experienced because they're trying to prove themselves to get to that black belt. They they raise more attention, uh, they pay attention more, they try to become proficient black belts. And just to answer that question the way it is as far as rank and belt and belt color, I have to give that credit to brown belts in my experience. Now, mm-hmm. I also want to say that the gentleman that just finished talking, Bobby, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could not I could not agree with him more. I mean, he laid that out beautifully, and I think uh, really. Uh, oh, he laid that out beautifully. I I think I can't. I, I, there's no better way to say it. He he verbalized that perfectly. Uh, and any instructor, any teacher that's got years of experience, you know, I've been doing this 45 years now. We you know we experienced both sides of that. I know the student he's talking about. I've got I, I've been through that student, you know, so I know exactly what he's talking about. I know that desire that he's talking about with himself and with the student. And if you hang in there, you're going to experience that. If you don't experience those things, you don't have the passion, first off, to be a, a, be a teacher. You don't have that passion because you're going to have those students. And you can measure a, a dojo. You can measure the success in two different ways. You've got the dojos that are successful. It depends on, it depends on how you look at your success. You've got right. a dojo that is successful because you are giving the students what they want. It's not always the best, but you're giving them what they want and they're paying you. And if you want to measure that as success, then you go right ahead. And then you have this degree of success where your knowledge and your passion, and like the gentleman Bobby just said, 
you can direct them in the best way that you see they can go. Now, it may not be making the money as the other guys, giving the, the students what they want, but you as a teacher, you're finding out the best ways to teach the individual students. That's a degree of success as well because I'm not a million-dollar dojo, but I measure what I have as grand success, and I don't just give people what they want. I'm looking at them as a teacher. Now, I do right. accept probably more students than, than Mr. Bobby does, but me accepting these students, I'm trying to figure out the best way to direct them. And sometimes it doesn't work out, but most of the time it does because I've got like 45 years in it now. 20 years ago, I wasn't as good. 30 years ago, I wasn't as good, you know? And I am at a point now to where I'm waiting for the next 10 years because I've learned that I'm learning every day. So the next mm. 10 years, you know, it's going to be out of sight. You know, but uh, Mr. Bobby, whatever, whoever you are, beautifully said. Well said, sir. Thank yeah. you so much. I, only, I I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for that. Right on. Well, we are getting close to the end of our show. We're going a little time, but let's take one more call. One more call with the phone line here. Area code 270. Sounds like I don't know whose line this is. 270 on Dynamic Dojo. Hey, it's Jane. How you doing? Hey. How you doing? I'm like, one of these days I'm going to remember every area code. What you doing? What's up? <laughs> Not much. He's done muscling uh, heavy furniture around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I don't I don't oh, know great. where to come in on that conversation anymore. I'm just, we were just kind of like all over the place, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were talking about how we were, how was uh, one of the, like the work things, and then we went to, uh, Tom Dwyer's question was, was, you know, at what point would someone be able to defend the position? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, you know, sometimes uh, white belts, if you give them just a little bit, you know, uh, if you give them just a little bit of information, they can pretty much handle themselves. You know, I've had a couple of white belts. Um, I, I, I do this thing where uh, with white belts, uh, especially kids, um, not so much adults, but with kids, you know, I tell them until I start teaching them a little, uh, a little more how to defend themselves, that if somebody tries to grab them and pull them away, you know, you do the whole, you know, wrist release thing, but to drop on the ground, kick and scream, and and yell, stranger, stranger, nine one one, you know, just give it all their all they got, and uh, I had one of my kids tell me that that worked for a bully at school. Because they couldn't get oh. a they couldn't get a hold of them, and nice. uh, I told them to I told them to you know uh, in jujitsu if you get on your back how you put one leg up and you just shuffle around with your other one stay on your back but then have your guard up. So I teach them how to move around like that, keep their guard up, and uh, just kick and scream and do whatever they can. Stranger, stranger, nine one one, and they pretty much uh, will leave them alone and then draws a lot of attention. Nice. So that helps them yep. out. Um, black belt no. test. Yeah. Uh, my my taekwondo black belt test was a little was uh, a joke, uh, and mm. I don't mean that in a way of it wasn't it uh, it wasn't tough enough or or I was too tough for it was the fact that I didn't have the support uh, from our school uh, like most people do. Um, I didn't have the people who could hold my boards, um, 
my hardest part of my black belt test for Taekwondo was standing there for an hour talking about the history of Korea and talking about uh, the beginnings of Taekwondo, where it got started and what it was for. So you're sitting there locked up at attention for almost an hour, and your master's sitting there with his watch sitting right there in front of you, and he's just letting you talk away, and you start running out of things to talk about after a while because Taekwondo, <laughs> though it has a 3,000-long history, gets shortened really quick. <laughs> yeah, in so, an hour. So what, yeah. so what does it require me to talk for an hour? That goes for everyone? That depends on who it is. Uh, oh, sometimes if, if he feels like you're spot on, then he might shorten it to a half hour. If he feels like you're stumbling and falling, it might be an hour and a half. It just depends on what he felt like doing at the time. And oh. uh, for me, uh, I did a couple of hums and haws because I'm not a, I'm not one of these people that can stand at attention and try to regurgitate or or uh, try to, uh, to say all this stuff because I'm not I'm not really a good speaker to a point. And so uh, the hums and haws was what was getting him. I sounded confident, but in some places I wasn't. So he let me hang out there for a while. Um, but then uh, we had to get to uh, self-defense. Well, I didn't have anybody I could really throw around, so my jiu-jitsu master, who is also... Um, who's also Taekwondo, he was uh, June, one of June Ree's students back in the day. Uh, that was his first start, so he said was sitting on our panel. So he let me throw him around. He's 74 years old, and he let me toss him around like a, ra- a rag doll, and I, wow. I gave him really big props for that. Uh, but then they wanted me, uh, because I'm, I'm more versed in, uh, in disarms, and uh, we call it Holson Sul, which is escape techniques. Um, he uh, let me disarm him with gun and knife. But in with that, I could it's just not he attacked me. Um, he attacked me. I defended myself. And then I had to go in slow motion and strut how, uh, how I did it. Uh, oh. And my daughter and I took our test together. So... Oh nice. <laughs> so when uh when it got to the point where we had to break boards, um again, we didn't really have a good uh support group and we had actually underbelts hold our boards for us. Mm-hmm. Uh Kylie had one we had to break four boards, uh two hands, two feet, and um so we had it set up. Well Kylie is not really strong in the hands, but she's, you know, so she did a downward elbow strike. So she had the stand setting up there. Well, when she came down, the two ends of the stands came inward and one caught her in the eye. And so I had to go after her because she's a younger belt. I mean, the the younger belts go before the older belts. So here she is bleeding. Uh, I didn't know if she needed stitches or not. My uh, my uh, ex-husband was tending to her at the time, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to set my boards up and watch her at the same time. Right. So 
I got it set up. I said everything I needed in Korean. Uh, I went to break my first boards. The two guys holding my boards backed up. They left slack oh. in the boards. They didn't. Yeah. Uh, so I set up my next, I, I told them to get to my next station. I didn't have enough people to hold all my stations. So the two guys that are holding my boards had to hold the next station. Wow. So that one, okay, well, my, my first one was a palm strike. Couldn't do it. Uh-huh. Then my next one was an axe kick. Um, uh, I broke through that. They were able to keep sturdy because they were sitting down. Um, why wasn't there, I mean, why wasn't there the support group that you needed? Did, were, were, was your instructor to provide that, or was that your, your responsibility? No, the school, um, with the school, we always tell them, hey, you know, we're having a black foot belt test. You're more in lo- you're more than welcome to come and support, and it's almost okay. they. It's almost the fact they don't say you have to be there. It's just kind of implied. Oh, so, so people that choice to not show up then. Right. 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 So, I, I I was able to break two of my stations and the other two not because they wouldn't hold the boards right. So of course I had to ask permission to re-break these boards. So uh, I was I was really perturbed at that time, and I grabbed a hold of these two guys, and I held my boards, and in their ears I told them, you better fucking hold these boards and hold them right and do not break. <laughs> <laughs> you keep your hands out there. <laughs> better stand still. <laughs> That's right. I mean, because they're messing with my test, you know? Yeah. I wasn't going to fail because of them. Exactly. So, exactly. Wow. So I broke them watching my daughter with her broken face and stuff. It it was a it was kind of a joke. And then sparring, uh, I didn't have adults to spar. You would think that I would have had plenty of adults, but no, I had a child uh, to spar wow. with, and that wasn't really fair. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, wow! Oh my God! Yeah, it's not the damn. Eric writes in and he said this comment and your story had to like I would talk to you felt to shut up oh my goodness it is all 8.15 and Buck Talk Radio is going to kick off here in a little bit so we're going to have to show I really loved tonight's show. What do you think, Bob? It was a great open floor. Lots of uh, non-stop. It was non-stop. a great, great show. I loved it. It Absolutely. was awesome. So shout out to, to Janie for calling and for everyone on the uh, on the comment boards for commenting and listening and watching and shout out to Bobby and Professor Patrick for calling in. And Bobby, uh, I hope you don't end up with a hanger tomorrow. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's 11.15 on the East Coast, according to Tom Dwyer. He says it's a great show. It was a fun show. I loved it. Thanks for watching, everyone. And, uh, you know, if you guys have any suggestions for, for um, discussion topics or, or have, feel free to you know, 
hit ideas my way or send Bob an email on on Facebook and, and just kind of throw them our way because we, you know, we'll we'll talk about pretty much anything almost, almost. So eleven fifteen oh. on the east coast. It's one fifteen in Australia and uh, eighteen here on the west coast. So there you go. So thanks everyone for thanks everyone for watching and listening and commenting and calling in and send us some subjects that you guys want to talk about or if you have any uh, people that you think would make guests like you, know, you have an instructor that you know that has made an impact in the martial arts and would like to be on the show uh, to learn a little bit about their martial arts career in their lives let us know and uh, you might be able to be a guest co-host on the show. If now, you can't be asking for Chalmers or Jack Chan or anything like that, but you know, <laughs> we don't have the people to talk yeah, to. Yeah, right. So, anyway, thanks, Bob, the great show co host in, in like the world. And uh, Terry Lee Lopez said, I think next time you guys should talk about how to handle bullies. So, perhaps both child bullies and adult bullies, like work. So yeah, I think I like that. Let's talk about that. Let's get your guys' takes on how to handle bullets. Let's see if we can do that for next week. How that works. All right, everyone. Talk to everyone next week. This is Bye to Rusty. We're signing out. Bye, everybody. Bye for now. Uh, Bye. Bye. Bye.